kill me. God, kill me. You forget the terms of our surrender. The penalty for the killing of any centauri by any Norn will be the death of 500 Norns, including the perpetrator's own family. But I don't have to kill you. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. Can I still get to watch you die? <laughs> I find this most appealing. <laughs> We're in here! Can anyone hear us? I hear you. <laughs> in here! We're in here! As the humans say, up yours, die! <laughs> you are mad, do you know that? There, you see. I'm going to live. So it would seem. Well, it is an imperfect universe. Bastard. Monster. Fanatic. Murderer. You are insane! And that is why we'll win. Go be the ambassador to Babylon 5, they say. It'll be an easy assignment. Oh, I hate my life. So do I. Shut up! Sheridan must find a mad bomber. I want this stopped. Before the next blast. You'll probably die here. On an all-new... It's a deck! Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. back everyone to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices for those of you who are joining us for the first time we are a group of first ones who are longtime fans of babylon 5 who have been watching this show way too many times over the last 20 plus years as well as a group of newbies who are our friends who somehow are still friends with us and watching this show for the very first time and experiencing babylon 5 as it was when it aired, week to week. We actually will not let them binge it or watch ahead. So they're experiencing this week to week, episode by episode, as we go through the show. My name is Blake, and with me today we have... Nicole. Andrew. Jesse. Kevin. Emily. And Justin. All right, so to get things kicked off, Emily, I think you have a synopsis for us, and you have already guaranteed me that this is going to win us some fans, so don't let us down. Oh, yes. We have an angry, entitled man who is mad that the world isn't catering to his wants and decides to set up bombs around B5. Lanier is nearly killed in the second blast while saving Delin and Londo. Londo and Jakar get trapped together after the third bomb goes off. And Sheridan is held as a hostage by the douchebag bomber. And Garibaldi's quick thinking gets the fourth bomb off the station just in time. 
let's go ahead and jump in here. The way we start with this is we usually go around for starting with all of our newbies and get first impressions of the episode. So let's go ahead and kick it off tonight with Justin. Yeah, so before I get into my first uh, reactions, I've got a question, uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes question. Thanks to Andrew today, I found out that this episode originally aired November 13th of 1995. Mm -hmm. Why that stuck out to me is that is almost seven months to the day after the Oklahoma City bombing. And that is also during the time period that the Unabomber was still on the loose and everybody was afraid to check their mail and everything like that. So my question, I guess, if any of, if Blake or Kevin have any kind of background information is when would this episode have been written and filmed? And was it intentional? Like, was this something that was planned before or was this written and filmed in reaction to these events going on? So looking from some of JMS's notes, uh, this episode would have been produced around August, September of 95 uh, is when this one was doing was going through production. Because uh, you made a comment on September 7th that they had uh, three shows in the can and they were getting ready to shoot the fourth one. So this would have been one of the three shows uh, that they had in the can at that early September point. So after OKC. Okay. Yeah, it would have been after. But as far as when the writing is, JMS had a lot of this scripted out and had note cards for the entire series at various points. So there's nothing that he's directly commented on that links it to Oklahoma City or uh, Unabomber or any of that or where the exact story idea came from. But timeline wise would have been around in that point. I actually have something on that. So I do have something about JMS with this. He says that it, it was less of a plot device and it was more because he was very angry about the Oklahoma City bombing like all of us were. And so, you know, he he wanted to do a story that, you know, had to do with because he really wanted some um, some drama on the station, specifically directly on the station. So it it gave him an opportunity to to write something that was I, I don't want to say, you know, a direct correlation, because I think he I think like you, Blake, I think he may have had, you know, some idea for it earlier on, but. Um, he he said specifically that he was so angry about the Oklahoma City bombing that he really wanted to see the bomber in the end get it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering, because it was it comes out right around that time. We have a lot of domestic terrorism issues going on in the country. So that's one thing that kind of I was watching the episode. and I was like, when did this come out? Because it had that feel to it. So but thank you guys for answering that. Um, I appreciate it. But now um, back to my first impressions. Never once. Did I ever think I would have to watch James Sheridan prison wallet anything mm. than when he had to stick his communicator up his pants during this episode? I was like, that's something I never thought I would see during Babylon 5. Justin, did you say um, James Sheridan? Yes, he did. I, did I, I did say James Sheridan. I'm sorry. <laughs> John Sheridan. So fuck it. Leave it in, Scott. <laughs> So that was something I, I that was a surprise for Babylon Five. Um, but then, honestly, you guys have talked about this scene in the elevator with Jakar and Londo dating back to when we had the pleasure to talk to Peter 
Jurassic, and it lived up to everything that you guys hyped it up to be. I mean, it was it was powerful. It was even I found myself kind of giggling right along with Jakar at times, <laughs> just from the way Jakar was acting and just the sheer glee that he was going to get to watch Lando die. I thought it was all written very well. I thought there was great storytelling. The, the Lando Jakar stole the show, I think, away from everything else. As 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 good of a storyline as the bomber story was, Lando and Jakar just kind of relegated that to almost like almost a B plot within the A plot. Again, everybody out there is sick of the way some of us still hold hope for Lando and stuff like that. But I did find Lando's reaction to Lanier saving him touching, I guess, at points where he kept on going to visit him and stuff like that. Was it self-serving? Who knows? But I thought that was kind of a glimmer of decency within Londo, at least. So overall, a very good episode. I quite enjoyed it. All right. How about Jesse? I love this episode. It was so, it was so good. And I'll tell you, um, as my second, um, elevator scene, this is definitely my first one. Um, Jakar is an absolute just menace when it comes to like taunting people. And I love it. Um, my favorite line as the humans would say up yours die. Um, and then the fish song that he was singing, I absolutely loved every bit of it. Um, good episode, um, playing off of the last episode that I did go back and watch again and now seem to have just a little bit better understanding than I did last time. Um, loved it. And I'm excited to see what the rest of the season brings. Yeah, I will say, because both you and Justin have commented on that. And those of us who have seen this have commented all along that these two actors are two absolute powerhouses in this mm-hmm. show. And you put the, t- I mean, the, on their own, any of them individually in a scene mm-hmm. can steal the scene, but you put these two together with just them in a confined space. I mean, the way these two can interact off each other, the scenes that they can make together absolute hallmark of this series and you know i'm glad you are all seeing that in mm-hmm. comedy because we, we have been playing it up for a while and we're glad it's living up to what we've told you it would be absolutely so andrew and i'm gonna say you, this is an audio podcast and i'm reading your chat messages as we're recording so this better come up in your first impressions so i guess i'll start off by saying uh like justin i did not expect expect sheridan to pulp fiction his com link what I had initially written down here, though, was to me, this episode was kind of like the the better version of Survivors all the way back in season one. I thought it did a, like a pretty decent job at a kind of rehumanizing Londo after everything like that he did with the war, uh, with how he treats Lanier throughout the episode. And speaking of Lanier, even though he didn't really do all that much in the episode, uh, aside from saving two ambassadors lives. It's also kind of a great character episode for Lanier in a way by, by the time you get to the end. Emily, how about you? I enjoyed it. I, after the first bomb, I thought it was actually going to be about religious ideology since people were starting to come to be five after Kosh had revealed himself. So for it to just be an angry dude pissed because, you know, his life isn't all the fucking sunshine and roses or whatever. Not entirely surprising, but not what I was expecting. And I'm actually really glad Lanier didn't die because if he had died, I would have been done. I'd have been like, nope, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I quit. I'm out. (laughs) So I guess it's good he didn't. And yeah, the scene with Londo and Jakar, that was... 
that was something. And I do not blame Jakar at all for any of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I have done the right. same in his position. And Nicole. Uh, it was a great episode. I thought I hit the very beginning. I got got right away, though, because when Lanier told that annoying ass guy that he had Netter syndrome and had seven days to live, I was like, oh, my God, is he sick? He's going home. Oh, my God. I, I totally I was got. And then I was like, oh, he's just trying to get that annoying asshole away from him. So I thought that was pretty funny. That was a great way to kind of kick things off. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of lighthearted. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, I was like, oh, shit. So yeah, Lanier got me, um, but that was good. Overall, yeah, great episode. I mean, some people have already kind of said some of the things I wrote down. I wrote down, did Sheridan just stick that up his ass? Um, <laughs> that was kind of all right. Um, but what what I did write down was um, when Londo went to visit Lanier and he was there and uh, he was like, I'll wait, I'm here. And they just panned out that really slow pan. And all you saw was the fish hole of him sitting with the Lanier. I'm not going to lie. I teared up like that. That got me like I I laughed, I cried uh, and then I laughed again at the end with Jakar. I mean, Jesse, you said it right. He was total menace when he wants to mess with somebody like he's amazing. It's, yeah, it's just so he's so good at it. And yeah, it's, oh. it was like almost like maniacal and like off his rocker, but also like totally fitting and appropriate for like the situation. And right. it was just kind of like, damn, like he was ready to like he's like, fuck it, I'll die if I get to watch you die, motherfucker. Like he was <laughs> just like, nah, dude. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was a good episode. Um, it was really uh, kind of cool to see Garibaldi in action, like just kind of like working with the bomb guy and, you know, thinking on their toes and a lot of like they got the bomb out just in time and a lot of action. There was laughter. There was touching moments. So, yeah, it was a overall a great episode written really well. And I thought all of the and this is another thing I noticed, too, with the last episode. Now that we're in the third season. A lot of the like sometimes the plots were totally separate, but I think the plots are starting to kind of weave together a little bit more. So, yeah, I just overall, I really, really like this episode. You know, Nicole, you're the first one to mention it with Lanier and Nutter syndrome. And Kevin, you can't answer (laughs) this, but let's see how many of our newbies actually watch the credits. Who is the executive producer of this show? Was Nutter. And no Google, Justin, I see you starting to type. I'm going to guess it was Netter since you're asking the question. Doug Doug Netter is the executive producer of B5. And we have seen JMS do this before when he wants to play a joke on somebody, especially in the writing. So he threw this in as uh, Netter's Syndrome, uh, named after the executive producer, which he describes the reaction as amused, chagrined, and a promise of swift and terrible revenge. (laughs) So this was definitely JMS using uh, the power of his pen for a little writing uh, fun with somebody. Not only that, but the guy that played the obnoxious man in that scene is the sometimes director and the director of photography, John C. Flynn III. So they he had used to be an actor and they came to him and said, hey, we need an obnoxious guy for this one scene. So guess what? You're it. He was like, okay, I guess I can act again. Sure. But it brought the house down on the set. It was his idea to touch Lanier's head at the end. And the whole (laughs) thing just just busted up the entire cast. So as I was watching that, I'm watching it. I'm like, wait a minute, Membari, don't lie. I'm like, does he really? And then he's like, I'll do my penance later. (laughs) That was great. I was was audibly cracking up during that. It was wonderful. Yeah, that was funny. I got got. I was at first, I was like, oh no, Lanier's sick. And then I'm like, I did the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) 
We have one more, a couple more first impressions to get to. And obviously tonight we are down a couple of first ones. Scott is out traveling again and Mike is off with family this evening. Uh, so that leaves Kevin and I as the two first ones tonight. So Kevin, what are your first impressions? I love this episode. Um, I mean, I would, I would watch it just for the elevator scene, but there's other really great stuff in this one. This episode has a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff. So I'm sure Blake and I'll get to quite a bit of that, but um, yeah, you, you, you guys have already stumbled upon the, the Netter syndrome uh, one, but the other, th- the other thing I wanted to mention real quickly is that, you know, GMS, you know, we've all watched a sitcom and seen two people that hate each other stuck in an elevator or some other, you know, situation. And it was a trope that JMS really wanted to throw on its ear. So he decided, okay, well, we're going to put these two guys in there that hate each other. And there's not going to be any resolution at the end. And you're going to see some, you know, maniacal stuff from, from uh, Andreas Katsilis with, with this scene. But uh, Katsilis said that this is one of the rare times that he actually like practiced at home with a scene. He was deathly afraid of getting it, getting it wrong and not, not having it be just right. So he he said he agonized over this scene. This episode is is absolutely one of my favorites. It's fantastic. And there's there's just all kinds of stuff with this episode. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Kevin. This is probably one of my standout favorites as well from the entire series, in part because of that elevator scene uh, with those two in there. But also, I think this one, we've touched on it a little bit, and I'm sure we're going to go more with it. But Especially in Atlanta, and I think part of what sells that elevator scene, because you're right, Kevin, they've done that in how many other sitcoms and shows with two people stuck somewhere that hate each other. But what you have here, especially with the Londo character, is this back and forth, you know, swing of you hate him, but there's these redeeming moments like him and Lanier. So you get, especially in this one, you know, we've seen that swing in one episode where Londo has those redeemable traits and then the next episode doing something despicable. This one has that cut back and forth within the same episode of Londo doing despicable shit to just being Londo and then the scenes with Londo and Lanier. And so it's all contained. So to me, that helps just make this great. The other part I like about this is I actually like Brother Theo and the introduction of Brother Theo with this one. And for those of you that are keen on listening to voices, there was the original actor that played Drawl who was not able to come back uh, when they had Drawl appear to Sheridan. So they recast the role because he couldn't come back due to health reasons. Well, he's able to come back now, and it's Brother Theo. Uh, so that's the original actor that played Drawl uh, popping back up in Babylon 5. So let's go ahead and jump into our discussion. Uh, who wants to kick off, or where do we want to start going with up? There's Justin's hand, so Justin, jump on in. Um, I actually, one of the, another heavy chuckle moment for me um, in this episode was the very beginning. When you start to see these flood of missionaries come on board Babylon 5, where I realized I was semi-right in one of my other predictions when I talked about a cult of Kosh. It wasn't a cult of Kosh, per se, but Kosh's appearance, um, I think it was Nicole who also mentioned the same thing, has brought you know a lot more kind of religious pilgrims to the side of Babylon 5. And the, Zach's interaction with the Drazi was priceless. The fact when they just reach out and just start touching him, and he's like, what are you What are you doing? Oh, well, everything on this station's blessed. You're blessed. And I laughed out loud again when he goes, well, see that plant over there? That was in the garden. That's more blessed than I am. Why don't you go stroke that plant while I get your visas in order and stuff like that? And I was I was cracking up about that because it was just like that. That's another really good line for Zach's character. Mm-hmm. 
that whole scene with him where he got to actually express himself. I also agree. I like the brothers and that's what I'm going to call them because I don't know if I have any kind of other, to me, they come off more as like Jesuit priests, but they're monks or something like that. And brother Theo was a pretty cool character too, especially during the scene um, when Ivanova has to go to him and be like, we need you to analyze all these cameras and look at all of this footage and try and see if you can find any correlation. And he's like, that's it. Okay, so very cool character. I hope he sticks around. Oh. Speaking of brother Theo and the brothers, I also thought it was really funny the way Ivanova and him were talking. And she's like, wait, you want to live here? Why do you want to live here? Usually people don't want to live here. I just thought that whole scene was pretty funny, too, because she was just kind of like, uh, okay, like... And he's like, make it work. We'll go anywhere. We'll live below or what. And it was just it was a really funny interaction. And I also liked when they were looking through the videos and I forgot who it was, but he shushed them and was like, be quiet. Like, I just yeah, I also really enjoyed him. And at first I was like, "Uh oh, are these bad guys? But then I'm like, oh, no, they're they're pretty cool. So I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. And I actually thought his voice sounded a little familiar. So that makes sense that it was the original draw. So that was yeah, I really liked them. I thought they were really funny. Yeah. I, was I the only one that was cringing in the be- very beginning of the episode when uh, Garibaldi was uh stumbling to say and didn't really care about it and was like whatever i was like oh that is the cringiest moment i can remember seeing in babylon 5 up until this point and here i thought you were going to bring up them telling zach to explain the missionary position to them oh yeah (laughs) that too i agree with you justin i thought that scene after zach took over the conversation was very funny but until that, I thought it was pretty cringy, you know, on on the part of Garibaldi's part. It just that is not a scene that has aged or a very snippet of a scene has aged well at all. Are you are you talking about the fact that he was mispronunciating characters names uh, throughout many different instances <laughs> uh, like we've done many times on this podcast and how how cringeworthy it is to go back and listen to it? Yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I mean, he very nearly was like, bless you, you know, at a, at a tough word. It was like, oh, he was obnoxious, come yeah. on, man. Why don't I remember this? It was a throwaway minute. You know, you almost miss it. But um, uh, this is a favorite episode of mine. So I watched it a couple of times this week and caught that. And I was just like, oh, that's not aged well. There's a few things in this show that have not aged all that well. Justin. Yeah. Well, one last thing that I was going to say about Brother Theo that um, that was brought up about, I think, Nicole, you had said that they wanted to live there and everything like that. I thought it was very interesting and it perfectly makes sense his reasons why coming from a group of religious you know, scholars, as you will, that come from every range of science who want just to go out and understand the, this viewpoint that they have of, you know, all gods are just different faces of the same creator. So instead of spending centuries traveling planet to planet, we'll just come to the place where they're all at and do it in decades instead of centuries. And they're like, we're patient. We have the time. We'll find a way to make money. We'll do chores for people and stuff like that. So I thought it was actually like just his, his the reasons why they're there makes perfect sense too. So like I said, they're pretty cool people that I hope stick around for a while. 
Hey, y'all, it's Scott chiming in as I edit this thing. Justin's talking about the monks going around trying to find all the facets of God. And one of the things this episode always reminds me of is a short story by my favorite author, Arthur C. Clarke, called The Nine Billion Names of God. If you have not checked it out, it's a very, very quick read. It's a short story. But go check out The Nine Billion Names of God. Back to the show. Yeah, GMS actually based that upon Jesuit teachings. They have a a love of comparison of religion, unlike some facets to, you know, it's only our religion. Jesuits actually have quite a quite a respect for others and want to learn about God through other people's eyes. And it's it's very cool. And GMS did that on purpose to to have it in part of the series. Well, I think that's one of the draws for me to this show is, and we've discussed JMS and his writing and obviously him being an atheist and his own experiences with religion, but taking a minute just to look at our other favorite sci-fi franchise, Gene Roddenberry on the creation of Star Trek was very adamant that humanity was beyond religion. And you never really see humanity portrayed as having religious belief uh, within, at least within Star Trek. I think you see a little bit of it now uh, with some of the newer series in, franchi- in the franchise, but within, you know, TNG, DS9, religion was not really a facet of Earth. But this embraces it, and you don't see one religion either. You see the different religions. You've seen uh, the monks uh, representative of the Catholic Church. You've seen Judaism. You've seen these different faiths, including indigenous faiths, during that scene in Parliament of Dreams. So it, it's much more embracing of the broad spectrum of beliefs, not just in alien cultures, but within uh, human as well. Jesse. Well, we met another character. Uh, is it Marishi? Mm-hmm. Uh, Shang Sun from Mortal Kombat. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little upset though because I did the thing that you told me not to do, and I went to his IMDb, thinking that I could hopefully see that he would be in more episodes, and he wasn't. So this is it, and that pisses me off. I love him, and I I loved his character in this. I thought it was great. I'm sorry, I broke the rules. You're okay. At least it wasn't day one like somebody else. It, it, it is upsetting that we didn't get more of that actor because yeah. he's very good. Although, yeah. you know, he often plays villains. So this was kind mm-hmm. of a new look for me because I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. Yeah, he's usually back. Oh, yeah, he's a good guy in this one. He's okay. a good guy cool. and he's a That's good cool. actor. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, he did well. It was cool to see. I, I thought we were getting somebody new, but we're not. I, I'm sorry I spoiled it. We'll talk about that beyond the rim. It's okay. Were you pointing to me, Jesse? Yes, I was. You're right here (laughs) in my screen. Oh, okay. You're right next to me, so you're pointing at Kevin, and I'm like, yeah, Kevin spoils shit all the time. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) I mean, that's not... It's not, um, that's not, you're not wrong. He was active up until two years ago. I I, I hope he's still around. Pretty, he's pretty old at this point. No, he was born in 1950. He's not that old. That's like 72, 73. Right. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, you, you're talking to the guys. I guess it's not that old. but 80 year old parents. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there's a new 50. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Good talk. Andrew, what do you have to say? Uh, well, yeah, since uh, Nicole already brought up the the shot or like where the camera's zooming out while Londo's uh, like just like desperately trying to talk to, to, to Lanier. Uh, I wanted to point out another little kind of funny shot when uh, when Londo first gets to the to med bay and the doctor like, tells him like not to touch anything after he tries like moving shit around and 
when she walks uh, like around the wall, you can still see her through the window and she's like kind of just for a second looks over at Londo, making sure that he's really not messing with with stuff still. Yeah, I, I thought that was a little a funny little moment. Mm-hmm. Kind of blink and you miss it. Justin, while we're on the topic of Londo and Lanier, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious because I've, I've stated my opinions on it already, but I'm kind of curious what other people think. Do you think Londo was being genuine or do you think he was being kind of self-serving in his overtures towards towards Lanier? I think it was guilt about Lanier. And I think he was also trying to make himself feel better about all the shit on, he did to Narn. And like this would somehow compensate for some of it, which it won't. But Yeah, I think he genuinely felt bad that Lanier got hurt and was grateful that Lanier saved him. I think it was genuine. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see a, a motive that he would have, you know, to um to do what he did other than because he was guilty and because he he was generally thankful that he had you know had his life saved i mean what what possible motive would he have to to do all that for anything else i i I don't see one well and jms has even commented about part of the story with londo is he's on this path that he put in motion he's doing these things but at the same time he is desperate for redemption from it and we've seen that a few times. I mean, we talked about that in that closing scene for season two in the council chamber when Jakar is giving that speech about not being enslaved forever. And you see the the silent look on Londo's face. If he knows what he's done, he knows the cost of it. And you can see the pain in that look in that scene. And that's part of that dynamic with Londo. If he does these terrible things, but then he has these redeeming little moments where it's like he's trying to find a way to make up for it, even if it's falling short on how some of us are viewing that. And, you know, that's just that back and forth. Jesse. I, yeah. So that was kind of along the lines of what I was going to say. It definitely would have been a very sweet scene had it not been Londo. And I agree with Emily. I do believe that it was just a little too little too late. Like, yes. Okay. You've got feelings, but you have made your bed and now you're lying in it. So I, you know, I did enjoy the scene. I thought I was the only one that didn't get the joke when I was watching it. Like when he told the joke and I'm like, I kind of looked at my husband, like, well, is that funny? Did, did, am I just not understanding? And he's like, no, I don't get it either. So it was a good dynamic, but like, I am having a very hard time um, finding any compassion for Londo whatsoever. So it's, you know, I am sure that this is how it was meant to be, but I have no, none of the feelings that I had towards him in the beginning where I was like, Oh, he's fun. And I love him. And I love to see him on screen. Um, now it's like, "Mm, you're kind of a douche canoe and I don't really like it. (laughs) So it's, you know, that's kind of the whole, it tainted the the interaction for me. Like his actions made it hard for me to find it endearing. Right. Nicole, you have something to add to that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think two things can be true at once. I think that he can genuinely feel compassion and sadness for Lanier and feel genuinely upset about what happened to him. And I don't necessarily think it was him trying to like make himself feel better about Narn because he's still a dick too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like both things can be, at the same time, they can be there. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I think in one hand, he feels bad about this situation, but another hand, he's still the same Londo. You guys have a good point, but I don't think it had anything to do with his guilt with all the other shit, because like you said, he made his bed, he lied in it and he made a decision. You know what I mean? And he has to move forward with it. But I also think that even though, I mean, well, he's not a human, he's an alien, but like 
anybody with a conscience of any sort that's like a living, breathing being would feel bad about that unless they're a real piece of shit. And if somebody got hurt saving my ass, even if it was my worst fucking enemy, I would still feel empathy and compassion for them, even though I would probably kick their ass if I saw them on the street. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I definitely think that I don't know if the, the, the scene made me cry like it made me me and my black deep dark hole of a heart i had a little tear coming out i i just really thought it was a really powerful moment and i think that jms probably did that on purpose like you said jesse to kind of mess with us like it we don't want to feel compassion for londo we don't want to feel anything good for him because he's really been an, an asshole but also like i don't know for me i am a bit of a softy i'll fully admit that <laughs> I, it was just really hard for me not to feel something in that moment you know and i and feel like his like pain in that moment you know it doesn't make up for anything he did or make him a good person but i think that even though he is the ruthless asshole he is linear really had nothing to do with any of that stuff you know what i mean linear was an innocent bystander that got hurt and he didn't have any beef with the membari so i feel like he was like oh shit this guy hurt himself and i got off you know what i mean so i don't know i i really thought that it was a really dynamic scene um and i just really when justin when you asked that i really was thinking about it and that's just kind of how i feel about it justin well and i guess the reason why i, I presented this question is because there was another scene that kind of made me have a little bit of a twinge of doubt um, about Londo's intentions. And yes, Jakar did it too, but the scene where both of them were trying to convince Sheridan, it was the other side that was doing the bombings. So first you saw Jakar and how, how, and actually was it Jakar talking to Sheridan or was he talking to Garibaldi about it? Garibaldi. Garibaldi. But, so when Jakar was talking to Garibaldi about it originally, um, following him through, very animated, very almost hysterical, at times to where he went the wrong way when Garibaldi was, was, was walking. I'm not sure if that was intentional or if that was just a goof that they left in, but you could tell like Jakar was very animated about it. And then in the very next scene, you have Londo screaming his head off about it being the NAR and the NAR are the people doing all these bombings and stuff like that. And he was talking to Sheridan and Sharon had to warn him about not what kind of person would use a tragedy like this to score political or public points? So when that happened, it kind of put maybe a little bit of a twinge of doubt in my mind about Londo's sincerity in spending that time with Lanier of, is this being genuine or is he just trying to feign sympathy? So that's why I was kind of curious. I'm still on the it's genuine bandwagon, but there was just a moment of doubt there for a little bit. Kevin. So when when you guys have your next opportunity, I want you to go back and watch the the scenes with the hospital bed, because there's a little bit of a, a um, behind the scenes with this. So Andreas Katsoulis went to Bill Mooney and said, hey, Bill, that performance was incredible, where you just were so laser focused anytime you were on screen in the hospital bed to stay quiet and stay still. And, you know, you didn't even flinch or blink or anything. It, it was just, it was amazing. I was so impressed. And Bill thought that was kind of amusing considering that it was a dummy head that they had cast 
And there's a very sad reason why Bill was not actually in the bed. Um, he had lost his father after a long battle and had been in the hospitals uh, before he passed. And Bill went to GMS and said, look, I really, I cannot film this. I'm really sorry, but I cannot. I don't have the emotional availability to do this. And they were very understanding. They're like, okay, no problem. We'll work around it. So they, they cast, you know, a, you know, a, a dummy head, you know, for him. And they just, they put it in the bed. So, you know, Peter Jurassic is, is talking to a dummy head in all those wow. scenes until Lanier wakes up. Well, of course, yeah. Another another quick aside too. He did he did a couple of the the stunts in that explosion scene right up until the the very last most difficult one because he wanted to. But um, you know this this production had a really good track record for safety. They were able to do some of the pyrotechnics, um, you know, where it looks like it's really close to the actors, but using lenses and stuff, it really wasn't. But um, yeah, Bill Mooney was very happy with this episode, especially because he didn't have to do the hospital stuff. But I think Blake's got something else that he wants to talk about. Yeah. So before we move on to, you know, our bomber who just needed a hug, Let's talk a little bit about the that last scene with Lanier when he wakes up. And I just want to get uh, your thoughts with that last quote that he had. And it's uh, Lanier talking about what he did. And it's, I did what I did because all life is sacred. But when the object of your actions does not share that belief, I fear I have served the present by sacrificing the future. Uh, so I just want to get your reactions, kind of Lanier's thoughts on the whole scenario. So let's start with Jesse. So we just had a conversation about this where, you know, we have a justice system that works with individuals and take it or leave it, whatever your personal opinions are about the justice system, it has its moments where it's not working and it has its moments where it does what it's supposed to. And, you know, this kills me because he's basically saying, if I had let him die, I bet I would have saved the lives of millions or billions of people like we talked about in a couple you know last season in the episodes where they say the voices of the or the cries of the billion victims or whatever so it was hard to watch that because absolutely see that happen in our in our current you know situation where somebody does something really heinous and gets like kind of a slap on the wrist and then comes out and does something even more heinous and the person that could have sentenced them and saved possibly lives didn't. So it was, I, that, that um, sat with me for other reasons, I think, but it was definitely um, a more difficult scene to watch. Yeah. I thought that um, that quote was really profound because I feel like the Mimbari's whole code and like focus is that all life is sacred. So even if it's not a good person, it's still a life. Right. And I feel like if he would have let Londo die, I think he would have felt bad or maybe felt like he was going to be punished by the gods or whatever his religious stance, you know, is, but also like saving him, like he said, could have killed millions of other people or whatever. So I think it was a, it was probably a, a conflict for him, but like also it just goes to show the character of who the Mimbari are and who Lanier is because he didn't even think he was just trying to get them out of there, you know, and obviously Delenn he was going to save. And then Londo just happened to be right behind her, you know, and I think that maybe if Londo was farther off or maybe if he wasn't right next to Delenn, maybe he wouldn't have saved him. 
but I feel like just the character of who Lanier is and who the Mimbari are, there's no way he was going to not do it, even if it might have been the wrong decision for the future. And I feel like that, you know, I almost wonder, I guess this could be a question or prediction. If I hope that that doesn't haunt him or, or cause problems for him in the future. Justin. I mean, I 100% agree. I really think that Lanier was just acting according to his personal and religious code. You know, they've made several instances throughout time, which can be contradictory if you look at the warrior cast and the whole work in humanity. But Mimbars in general um, think that, you know, all life is sacred and all life is worth saving, even if it's somebody you don't like. So I think Lanier was just acting towards, you know, you know, acting according to his old moral structure. Uh, but then there's always that, and what kind of struck me with this with this quote or this lines was it's the what if factor, you know, and it takes me back to, you know, here we go for Justin's historical time. Um, takes me back to a situation that happened during World War One. It was towards the last days of the war. And there was a British officer, and I forget his name, unfortunately, but um he was a sniper and he was, there was the, the British were following the German retreat and he had this German in sight and was about to pull the trigger. And for some unknown reason, even to him, he didn't. And that German, that young German was Corporal Adolf Hitler. So it, that's a whole thing with what if, um, you know, what if he would have pulled the trigger? How would have history have been different? Or is the fact he didn't pull the trigger just another act in this drama of life that we're all playing? Um, and I think it's going to be something very similar with with Lanier, where I do think there will be times where he will almost wish he wouldn't have pulled Londo out. Um, but, you know, we're all just like Londo. We're all we all have to live with the choices that we make, whether for good or ill. Andrew, this is a kind of a. Uh piggyback off of both of those points uh, one thing i wanted to bring up was uh like because he says that line uh in response to uh franklin like kind of like congratulating him, like uh, or yeah congratulating him uh and like saying like oh like, like the centauri are gonna be like so grateful like maybe they'll give you a medal and and basically like with that line he just said like no fuck that i'm i'm just doing it because that's like what we believe and like, i didn't do it to like like to get any respect and and yeah, I, I don't blame him. He doesn't want any, any of that respect. Jesse. I, I don't know who said it. It's been more than a minute and a half since I heard it, but um, somebody definitely said he didn't do, I don't think he did it on purpose. Like, I think he just acted and it was just an instinct. Dylan was there. He's saving Dylan and it had been Lando, Jakar, Sheridan. It didn't matter who was there. He would have grabbed whoever and tossed them. He also probably didn't realize he was going to get stuck behind the blast doors so you know he's thinking he's just going to push everybody out and everybody's going to get out i don't think he even had you know two seconds to react he just reacted so i you know the the whole scene is his afterthought of hmm like what what if like justin just said what if he would have just not lived like what could we have done but they're given the chance i think you know i or i'm sure i know he would have absolutely done it again Emily. Um, I do agree with Jesse that it was just the reaction of something exploded, get people through a door, um, not really caring who it was, just getting people out. And 
I know he's looking at after the fact of like, well, gee, I saved Londo and Londo's doing all this terrible shit. And he is. And I'm not trying to negate that. But even if he hadn't saved Londo, we still have Rifa, who's still going to mm-hmm. do the horrible shit. Yes. So whether or not he saved Londo, it, I mean, like if he hadn't saved Londo, it mm-hmm. may not have saved anybody else because Rifa right. still going to do what Rifa's going to do. And they, as where we're at right now, it looks like they're on a very similar path. Now, I'm not saying that holds up for the rest of the series. It's just like where they are towards Narn and some of the other surrounding areas, they seem to be riding along in the same vehicle. Jesse? I think that follows along with there's, um, you know, some people who believe that, you know, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And regardless of how it happens, you're going to go. So like Londo was supposed to die in this blast, but he ends up not going there he walks out and gets hit by a car. I know that doesn't make sense in this situation because there's no cars, but like, you know, something falls on him and kills him. Like some people, and, and that, I think that's exactly Emily's theory is like, even if it wasn't Londo, it's Rifa. And if it's not Rifa, it's somebody else. And if it's not that person, like if it's destined to happen, it's going to happen because there's people that are backing it up. I don't know how much I buy into the whole, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. But I definitely think that sits with it. Nicole? I've always liked Lanier, but I didn't feel like an attachment to him. I thought Bill Mooney is funny and he's, you know, a good actor. Mm-hmm. And I I think he's had a lot of good moments throughout the show so far. But this, for some reason, episode really had me buying into Lanier. Like now I feel yeah. like he's one of my favorite characters. Like I really kind of fell in right. love with this character in this episode. And I just want to say that I think that it's probably chalked up to just good writing and good acting, you know, because it wasn't a question of like, is he good? Is he funny? Is he this? But just his performance in this and and now knowing what he was going through, like that's even I, I just really fell kind of like in lo- not like shipping in love. Like I just like his character, you know, <laughs> So now I'm like a linear stan, I think. So I just want to point that out. We we have went from shipping to standing. All right. Oh, yeah. I'm a linear just, stan now. Did Late you just ship yourself with linear? No, 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 so. no. <laughs> I don't like boneheads, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. I don't know if it was uh, intentional or not, but uh, when Londo goes in to like, initially like thank uh, linear like, while he's unconscious... Uh, I don't know if it was intentional, but like it just went on for like like kind of an, like a really awkward amount of time where like he starts like with like the the usual like like you know I I'm sure you know if uh, if the roles were reversed like you know I would have done the same thing for you but you know then there's also the possibility where we both made it out or the possibility where we didn't make it out and it, to me it just kind of felt like he was trying to reach the word count on an essay. Thanks for the muted laugh, Justin. Had nothing to do with that. It's, it was the side chat. I didn't know what standing was, so finally it was explained to me. So I was like, ah, okay. For those Makes of you out there that doesn't know what standing is, it's based off of Eminem's song "Stand," and it means you obsessive, obsessively love something. And that's my understanding. Now I've seen people on our Facebook talking about it goes way back further than that. So I always under I always understood it as it coming from that song. And that's how I use it when I like, if I hear it, that's how my brain connects it. I don't know what else it means, but oh, that's I can't, believe, my- I can't believe we're have this discussion. Uh, shipping is the one that goes way back. Standing is the. Oh, okay. uh, yes, yes. Got it. Okay. And that is a new thing that discussion because that is a very niche corner of the internet. 
that you can all go Google on your own. Yes. I recommend you use the VPN like Andrew does before you go <laughs> on those particular searches. Don't so, do it on your work phone. I yeah, I had, to learn, I had to look up what standing was this week. So yeah, don't do it on your work phone. Good advice, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you work for a government entity or government agency, do not do that on any state or government issued device, cell phone, laptop, or tablet. Otherwise, your employment may be in jeopardy. This public service announcement brought to you by Gray 17. <laughs> Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> so, it's short for stalker fan. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> so let's move on now. We've talked about Lanier and Londo. And let's get to our bomber and how everything wrong in his world is all because of the women in his life. I'm sure the ladies will have something to say about that one, or they'll kill me one of the two. So who wants to talk about our mad bomber and or more of Sheridan having a com link up his ass? <laughs> Justin. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> I knew something well, I was gonna... would get Andrew going, so. I mean, I mean, I was I was going to bring up the the whole... Um, Sheridan uh, using using his prison wallet to record conversations with domestic terrorists uh, later. But really, I yeah, this if there was a moment I, I, I didn't know incels were really a thing back in the 1990s, but I guess they were. We just didn't know it or didn't know it by that name. But yeah, this guy fits all of the bills of just a crazy, the world has always been against me bomber. And who was it when, what God, was it Garibaldi and Sheridan when they were walking through the halls and said that this guy was always the quiet and friendly type. And Sheridan goes, God, forgive, you know, forgive me for those shy, you know, quiet and shy types. Like, and that's where, unfortunately, a lot of the worst incidents we've seen are people who've been kind of loners and, you know, the neighbors always thought he was quiet, never really, you know, gave anybody any trouble or anything like that. And it's, you know, the guy is very cliche for your for any kind of kind of domestic terrorist or or anything like that with some kind of even this guy didn't even have a manifesto or an agenda. He just hated the world and wanted to sow chaos. And what better way to sow chaos than to bomb a station of peace and try and turn people against each other and try and bring down bring down civilization one small one small bit at a time because B5 wasn't his first stop along along his crazy train. He had two other places where he was kind of setting off bombs and stuff like that along the way. So just yeah, nutball deluxe. Hashtag mommy issues. Happy Mother's Day out there to all you fatherfuckers. <laughs> I can't say motherfucker. I guess I can say motherfuckers too, because there's also mommies who are motherfuckers. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. It is ironic we're involved. The uh, fuckers of all parental figures. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> it is ironic we're just recording this episode on Mother's Day with the guy who clearly has some definite mommy issues. Mm-hmm. Nicole. What pissed me off the most about this guy was he basically was doing it for clout. He's like, you don't know me or nobody knows me or nobody cares about me, but now you will. It's like, dude, you're not the only person who fucking got left, who fucking lost your job. Like, calm the fuck down. A lot of us have been through the same issues or worse. Like, it just irritated me so much because, yeah, he's like, you know, it was just the typical tropes of, oh, nobody cares. Nobody know me. I'm a, you know, I was bullied, blah, blah, blah. Like, shut the fuck up, you whiny little fucker. Like, when Sheridan knocked him out, I was like, yes, cold cock that bitch. Like, I was yelling at the TV because... I was like, bro, you think you're the only fucking person who doesn't have problem who has problems? Like, if I had a fucking if I was gonna go 
fucking blow shit up every time shit didn't go my way and all the things I've been through in my life. Y'all, I would have been gone years ago. I wouldn't be on this podcast. You know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. he just it just it was the dumbest. I thought it was the dumbest fucking reasons. Like it was just so stupid. <laughs> and I really think it was like all about clout. He just wanted to be known and and of all people like, oh, Sheridan, you have to come in here and get me off this planet or, or this ship or whatever. <laughs> you know, like of all the people you're going to call, like, why wouldn't you call the head of security? That's the guy you want to get in there. You know what I mean? Like, you dumb little bitch. Like, and Sheridan was not having it either. Sheridan was not. He was not having his bullshit. He called him out. He went toe to toe with him. I really thought he handled it really well. And um, I just, yeah. And the, and the calm link up the ass is <laughs> That's just too funny, like clever, though. And they were able to really hear what was going on. And if they didn't have that, then they wouldn't have been able to get the bomb out. My only disappointment with that entire scene, though, is when the comedy finally went off, Sheridan didn't just try to excuse it as a fart or something like that. (laughs) I think it was a little bit too much of a musical tone there, Justin. (laughs) Well, well, technically, though, I do have a defibrillator. And when the battery gets low, it plays a musical tone. So... But is it up your ass? No, it's in my chest. <laughs> it's inside her chest, which is yeah. just as, as scary. Like, can you can you imagine like sitting next to me and all of a sudden my chest starts playing music? We're going to the doctor. Is it is it is it my heart will go on? No, that'd be hilarious though if it was. Maybe I can request them to program it to that. Change it, change it. Yeah, next time you're your cardiac, you know, cardiologist, put in that request. I just want you to record the look on his face when you ask him that question. <laughs> They're gonna kick me out. That's awesome. And for those of you suffering from heart disease that would like to lodge your complaints with the Great Seventeen Podcast, go ahead and write us a review, but make sure to give us five stars for the comedy. Emily, what have you got? Yeah, I was annoyed by that guy. He just made me angry because it's the whole, well, my wife left me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, you ever think you're the fucking problem? <laughs> like, maybe you're unpleasant to be around. Look how self-centered you are right now. He's like, well, I'm a doormat. I did everything for everyone. Mm, did you really, though? Did you? Or did you just do something for someone once and you didn't get all the fucking accolades you wanted for it? And now you're all crying about it. Like, stop being a dick. Yeah, (laughs) I might have some strong feelings about him and (laughs) kind of sad he may have made it off the station. (sighs) Jesse. My only, I'm going to nitpick, my only concern or issue with that whole scene was when Sheridan knocked him out. He left him laying right next to his gun. Like he knocks him out guy, you know, passes out and you legit see his gun laying next to him. But what's he do? Does he grab the gun? No, he doesn't. He walks over and opens the door. Um, sir, you could come back for all, you know, to a gun pointing at you. Always clear the gun from the scene before you do anything else. (laughs) Welcome to my Ted talk. (laughs) So we have history talks with Justin and how to clear a crime scene with Jesse. Stay tuned (laughs) for more Patreon content from gray 17. Don't leave a damn gun laying next to somebody that's trying to shoot you with it. I mean, I feel like it's common sense, but clearly Sheridan, who runs an entire ship, didn't learn that lesson in school. It's a station, not a ship. God damn it. Did I say ship? Yeah. (laughs) Who are you, Dan? You are shipping shipping more than Nicole this evening. I just miss, I miss Kefler right now, so I can't, I just can't. (laughs) R.I.P. Kefler. So now that a few people have uh, stepped on top of him, Andrew, what have you got for us? Yeah. How did that audio sound so clear when it was shoved up his ass? Like, (laughs) I was waiting for somebody to bring it up. (laughs) 
Solid question. <laughs> shoved up it his did, ass. Let's be very. It did was, sound muffled. He did not put it in his man purse. He just shoved it in the back of his pants. No, his we have cheek. a friend to uphold here. It, no, it, no, he he pulp fictioned that. He <laughs> just. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's an audio podcast. There was a struggle. You, there was a, there was a visible missed. struggle on his face when he went to hide it. You That's all, all I'm missed. saying. The visual um, <laughs> insertion of it up into uh, an area by Andrew. <laughs> I guess. I guess if I ever have to meet Bruce Boxleitner at a convention, I just have to ask him: Was it the left cheek or the right cheek? Oh, please don't. <laughs> I'll like do it. We be... will no longer get invited to any conventions. Right. right. <laughs> Sounds like he's going to be in Minnesota. I think I read that somewhere. Kevin, what have you got for us? <laughs> so. You know, this this episode's directed by Michael Behar, who is a, you know, a, an 80s, 90s, and 2000s, early 2000s uh, television director of some acclaim. And, you know, he was very high on the acting job that Patrick Kilpatrick, I swear to God, that's his, the actor's name, uh, you know, did as the bomber. But did anyone else get the uh, really over-the-top John Malkovich vibe from this guy because I was not really feeling the the performance too much. I thought it was kind of overdone. And one of the things that Box Lightners talked about is that he kind of had a face full of saliva at the end of those scenes, which uh gross, but okay. I guess that probably happens occasionally in acting, but I I was not feeling the 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 actor's portrayal in this particular episode as the especially, you know, at towards the end of that scene. Jesse. My husband said the same thing. He's like, oh, he's overacting. And I thought it was just part of the scene. Like I thought that that's how he was supposed to be. So I didn't really read it as like overacting i just read i i he was supposed to appear crazy and that he did he succeeded um so i don't know you know how much of that was overacting or how much of it was the writing kevin you brought up the director of this one being mike behar and you know we've talked about the quality of directing on the episodes that he's been on Mm -hmm. and one of the things that divided folks around some of the bombing scenes um we've talked about the cgi in the episode one you, know, you had that scene where you see the kind of blown out levels between the station and all that was composited CGI. But when the bomb went off and Londo dived into the elevator, a lot of fans commented on that about, oh, that was terrible CGI. That was bad CGI. That actually wasn't CGI. They did a miniature of the hallway, about a 30 foot miniature version of the hallway, stood it up on end and set a firebomb off in the bottom of it and then recorded it shooting up through the miniature hallway. Really? Yeah, so that was an actual Cause, like firebomb. Because that looked the worst out of all the CGI in the entire episode. That scene at the elevator looked the worst. And it wasn't actually CGI. The way they yeah. did it, they uh, set the cameras up so it did slow motion at the start. So you just kind of saw the fireball build. And then they let the camera go and it sped it up so it looked like it was shooting down the hallway. And I think that might be why the way they did that, that switch from slow-mo to uh, normal speed might be part of it. Because you're right, even watching it now back, I mean, it doesn't look that great, but it was a practical effect. It wasn't uh, any type of CGI with that fireball. Yeah, it's a real big tell when you look at the director mm-hmm. on an episode of Babylon 5, and it's either Michael Vehar or Janet Greek, that you know it's probably going to be a good episode. Yeah. Because both of them are heavy hitters. Jesse. Is it time to talk about the elevator scene? Because I would like to. Let's talk about some elevator scenes. 
Um, I thought we were going to get to see the, the fight that I asked for. I was like, yes, he's going to just absolutely pummel him into oblivion. And he did the exact opposite. And it was absolutely amazing. I, I know I said it earlier, but I, this is probably my favorite scene of the entire, all of the episodes we've ever seen. Cause he's like, Londo has just had the audacity to direct Jakar to help him. Like, first of all, sir, um, get fucked. And I know that he said, as the humans will say, um, what do you say? Up yours, up yours, up yours, um, but like, first of all, you're not my boss. You have absolutely demoted me. And I'm, I am, you don't tell me what to do. I'm going to watch you die. And that's what he did. He literally sat there and laughed at him, laughed at this man in the last like part of what he thought was the last seconds of his life, Jakar is laughing at him. And if that is not like the most powerful reaction he could have had, I was like, that's dope. And that's everything that he gets. Now, clearly we knew they were not going to die because they just, they're not going to kill both of them in one scene. I wasn't sure one of them wasn't gonna, but um, it, you know, turns out spoiler alert, neither one of them did, but it was, it was awesome. I loved it. Every bit of it. He could have just said, you know what? Tell you what, let, let me uh, help me up it, uh, out of the, uh, the top. <laughs> and then, and just, you know, actually I'm going to leave you here. Bye. Right. Up yours and die, sir. Have a great life. <laughs> Justin. I think for me, it was the sheer joy in Jakarta. Mm-hmm. You would think you're trapped in that situation like you saw in Londo. And I think a lot of us may be in that very same position. Like panic is going to set in and the knowledge that this is probably your very few last minutes alive. Right. And whereas a lot of us would be freaking out, trying to find a way out, trying to get a hold of a loved one, whatever it may be. Jakar is just sitting there relishing in the fact that he's going to get to watch Londo die. And after he basically says that to him and Londo's, well, then why wait? Just kill me now. And Jakar's like, why? Why should I? If I do, if they find out I do kill you, they're going to kill 500 Narns and my family. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything. And I still get to sit here and watch you die. Like, this is his like greatest moment. This is what he wants more than anything in the world. And you see that when finally they do get through to him and, and, and Jakar just starts screaming, no. <laughs> the pain in his voice, like the fury that it, the one thing he wants more than anything in the world got thwarted. And it was, I... I know at one point during Peter's interview, you kicked us off and you guys got to talk to him kind of beyond the rim. Now, more than anything, I can't wait to go back and listen to the rest of that interview because I, I'm sure you guys talked about this. Mm-hmm. We did. And I, I'm very, very eager and interested to find out what Peter had to say about this scene. It's so a favorite one because... in the interview. Peter almost grew up and talked about the scene with all of you on. Yeah, I, I remember that part. Yeah, <laughs> he stopped himself. But you know, I, wait, have they seen it? the elevator scene? Oh, wait, I better shut up. Yeah, and we all went, no. Are can we, we good can to we watch, go it and watch yet? the rest of that? Yeah, that's that no, was <laughs> no. Okay, I already asked that last week. They said no. You know, we <laughs> I would be more than willing to snip it for the for you guys though. Yeah, because we'll see if we can't snip it that out because 
but there's there's just oh it's spoiler city you guys but right we will absolutely snippet that for you so i will say with this elevator scene you know just that back and forth with the two of them bickering and arguing you know going back and forth about bastard monster and you get that bit where londo says about going to ambassador to babylon 5 will be an easy assignment i mm-hmm. hate my life and you just got your car so do i i do too yeah <laughs> hey, nicole i know you I, nicole i know you have your hand up can i ask one last question no um the point where oh and i had it in my brain and then i completely forgot it so never mind go ahead nicole good so, question nicole. justin <laughs> Great question. I had a question. I had a question. And then in that few seconds, it it left. But anyway, I'll find it. Nicole, while Justin finds his question, what have you got? Oh, now I almost forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh, okay. So Jakar was a straight up G in this elevator episode. Mm -hmm. And Blake, you just brought it up at the end. I wrote that down about how they were like hurling insults back and forth at each other. And then how he's like, I hate my life. And Jakar was like, me too. And then it like pans out to like the thing. I was like, oh, poor Jakar. He almost got what he wanted. And he was, you know, ready to, he was just like, nah, dude, peace. You're going to die. Like he was like ready to give up his own life. And, and then, yeah, like it got thwarted. But I just thought that, that at the end, when they were like going back and forth with monster, that this and that, that was really, it, it brought me back to the days of the first season of them to just, arguing when they would see each other was a little more lighthearted then Mm -hmm. but like it just brought me back to that and i was just like the dynamic between them will always be that headbutting you know but now it's just more hate field but yeah jakar straight up g in this fucking episode justin did you find your question i remember there was one scene where i'd written down on my notes i thought jakar was praying but i guess somebody earlier in our in our recording here said he was singing some kind of song about fish. Yep. I think that's what was happening, but I didn't under, I couldn't hear or didn't understand. So what was going on with that? So there was back in parliament of dreams, Jakar was also singing a song in that episode. I can't remember the full context of it, but it's kind of the same type of thing. And I have the, uh, let me find it and scroll through because I actually have it up here in front of me. At least I did. Ah, so here is Jakar's uh, little song he was singing is not many fishes left in the sea, not many fishes, just Londo and me, not many fishes left in the sea, not many fishes, just Londo and me. And so basically he was just singing to annoy the fuck out of Londo. <laughs> this is gotcha. the song that doesn't. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was going to say that it was his version that makes of that a lot song. More, that makes a lot more sense than him praying because I'm like, why is Shakar praying during this scene? Like, Oh, he's so just that annoying makes a lot more sense. He's just gotcha. annoying Londo to make his oh. time left even more sufferable than... I am so here for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing about Londo is like he... He doesn't set out to just like straight up, you know, murder an entire world. That doesn't excuse anything he did. But his whole thing is he wants to bring the the Centauri Republic back to its its good old days, which is why, you know, that that joke that he tells, you know, isn't funny, but it's extremely representative of what he wants in his life. It's that he really wants the Centauri Republic to be the greatest that it's ever been again. He's willing to justify or do whatever to get what he wants but and he's and he is evil or at least he does evil things but that isn't his 
his objective, but he's willing to do them if it's necessary, which doesn't make it a bit better. So I went and pulled up uh, real quick the lyric from what he was, what Jakar was singing in Parliament of Dreams. Uh, so back in season one, the song, uh, I won't do the whole bit, but the last part of it is so many fishes left in the sea, so many fishies, but none for me. And so then he's singing in the elevator in this one, uh, not many fishes left, just Londo and me. <clears throat> Jesse. And that's why I called him a menace because I think just put yourself in this place. You're in a moment where you believe that it is your last few moments alive. You know, you're dying. The smoke is going to come. You're going to stop breathing. You're going to pass away. And the person next to you is singing a song with your name in it, like straight terror. Right. Um, but that's why I called him a menace. My comment was about his, about Lando's comment about go to Babylon five and be an ambassador. They said, um, yes, sir. I'm sure they said go to Babylon five and be an ambassador. They did not say go to Babylon five, meet the world's biggest dickhead, make friends with spider ships and kill a whole race of people. Like this is on you. And this is another thing that like another just moment where we see him lying in the bed that he made, like, I don't know what to tell you. Nobody feels sorry for you. And that's why I said earlier, I was having a problem, like finding compassion for him because like, it's, it's always about like, hmm, poor me, like, what did I do? And he knows damn well what he did. And he was warned about it before he did it. Like the dude told him, I can hear the screams of your victims. And he still followed through with it. And I'm sure we're not done prediction time. So just remember something as you guys watch the rest of the series, the fact that, you know, Peter and, and Andreas were the best of friends mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they got the best performances out of each other in the rare instances in which they are on screen together alone. And so I get it. It's tough to watch Londo sometimes, especially wishing that he was, you know, a nicer guy. But if you if you've got to keep that frame of mind when you watch this series, please do, because everything that the two of those actors do, especially when it's together, is gold. Yeah. Well, and love or hate Londo's character. Peter is amazing. Yes. So yeah, like and, and absolutely agree with you, like. You just see how good he is at his job because he makes me really seriously dislike Londo. And you can write for a character and be like, mm, yeah, he's kind of a douchey. But like the the level of acting that Peter brings to the table and it and the and I've said it, I think I've said it before about their friendship and how how it's kind of a weird dynamic to watch two people that so very much enjoyed each other play like they would murder each other if given the chance. And that's what we saw today. Like literally, or well, in this episode, literally Jakar says, mm -hmm, I'm going to enjoy watching you fucking die. And then, <laughs> and then plays it out in the best, like chef's kiss, like amazing, like couldn't have been. And I agree with you. It's hard to have compassion for the character. Um, Peter is the most genuine and like amazing person that we've interviewed. I've ever interviewed. I don't want to speak for everybody else, but he is just like the sweetest man alive and like super, super talented. So, so okay. I think we have covered most of this episode and looking at it uh, from all the different angles. So this is the part of our show where we go around with all of our newbies. We ask them for their questions and predictions. 
that they have that they are left unanswered with uh, after this episode are their predictions for what is going to come next in the series. And then we throw them all out the airlock and us first ones go beyond the rim and we answer all of their questions, predictions. And occasionally, yes, we have been known to make fun of a few of their predictions, uh, but it does come back around. You can ask Justin. We gaslit the hell out of him on angel wings and then Mm -hmm. look how that ended up for him. We're just waiting for another year and a half when they can actually go watch Beyond the Rim. And then they're really going to hate us. I'm going to guess we're not going to be friends after that. (laughs) There's a very (laughs) real possibility of that. (laughs) So let's go ahead and get started with our questions and predictions. And let's start off with Nicole. Questions, I guess, is if Lanier is going to feel conflicted about saving Londo or if he's going to have any residual, like, you know, doubts or feelings from that. After the elevator scene, obviously we know that Londo and Jakar don't die. Is there going to be any more conflicts or is there going to be any sort of retribution from either of the two? Well, probably not from Jakar, I guess, because the whole thing, but like, is Londo going to try to mess with Jakar? Is there going to be any more conflict with them specifically, I guess? And as far as predictions go, I don't really have any predictions at this moment. Andrew. Yeah, so uh, I only have uh, two questions here. What do Lanier's actions mean for Londo and Lanier's relationship? Like, are they going to be friends as Londo wants? Or uh, will Lanier not want his friendship because of Londo's actions against the Narns? And uh, other question is, will Londo and Jakar's time being trapped in the elevator have any effect on their relationship? Jesse. Um, I don't have any questions. My one prediction is that I do believe that Londo is going to continue to just murder and murder and murder. I couldn't think of any other word. I I think he's going to continue to lie in bed with Morton and um, the creepy spider ships. And I, yeah, I think he's going to keep going. And I think that the prophecy of the billion victims is going to be fulfilled. And Justin? I don't honestly, shockingly, have any predictions uh, coming out of this particular episode. Um, However, I do have several questions that I need addressed that I can't listen to for another year and a half. (laughs) Um, First question is, where the fuck do Jakar and Londo go go from here? Mm. How do they walk away from this experience? And kind of does it, I know it doesn't fix anything, but does it, do either one of them gain any kind of new perspective from their near-death experience. Does Londo start to turn around more, and what else does he do to try and make up for his crimes, if anything? How does Lanier handle Londo in the future? Because after, like, several other comments we've made about kind of maybe his uneasiness in um, saving Londo, um, does he... Because I would assume Londo takes further steps to endear himself upon Lanier and thank him for saving his life. Yeah, I can't wait to see how Lanier reacts to that. Will the brothers still be around? And kind of what role maybe will they have in in the war to come? And will there be more of a religious movement on Babylon 5? Will you start to see more arrivals of pilgrims and people trying to search for the deity and stuff like that that's three newbies in a row where we've all asked about like what does this mean for londo and lanier and what does this Uh, mean for londo and jakar just phrased differently (laughs) sorry honestly i wasn't listening to anyone's other questions wow (laughs) so i apologize if i repeated other things 
I was responding to some text messages and wasn't at all paying attention to what anyone else was saying. So I take ownership for that. At least you're honest. All right. Wow, what a man who doesn't listen. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> listen, y'all know you men don't listen when women talk 90% of the time. My fiance, I have to repeat myself a hundred damn times because he'll be looking at his phone, listening to something else, spacing out, like Okay, y'all can be no just offense. as bad. I'm gonna say y'all can be just as bad. No, we always that. pay we're always listening and paying attention. We always right. hear. No offense, okay, who, men, but you know one, you do who's it. Who's the one that asks every week what episode we're recording? Mm. That's just because I'm I have no idea what day it is, but I always listen when people talk. <laughs> but that's have been fired. But y'all know men, and no offense, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but men do pay attention sometimes it less when does women kind of sound like yeah. it. Okay. No, that's totally you don't stereotyping, tune, but you don't I mean, tune your wife out, Kevin. I'm sorry, what'd you say, Hanks? You, oh, <laughs> see, uh-huh, exactly. Y'all know you tune your ladies out. Don't right. act like you don't. Justin oh, Kevin. she doesn't tune me out, but okay, oh, I'm sure I'm sure she does. <laughs> What's part of being married <laughs> to my husband? And he and he like five minutes later, he'll ask me the same question. And I'm like, yes, I just had a 10 minute my conversation God. with you yes. about that specific question. Do 100%. you even listen when words come out? Of no, mouth? they don't. <laughs> and I think it's just part of being married or in a long term relationship. Agreed. So but yeah. then, but then, her questions and predictions. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm Emily. actually quite entertained. And we all know they listen if they need to mansplain. Oh, <laughs> they can find out how you're wrong. That's fine. But why is it? But why is it? I can't sit and watch a TV show or movie with any of y'all because you're sitting there on your phone the entire time. And then halfway through the movie going, this movie's stupid. I have no idea what's going on <laughs> because your face is buried in your phone the entire time. That's why you don't know what's going on. That Are sounds you married very specific, to my wife, Justin? Justin? <laughs> Listen, we don't pay attention to movies and, any, and stuff. I'm not throwing shade at any person in particular. I'm just stating <laughs> things. Women don't pay attention to movies. Men don't pay attention when women talk. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about two totally yes. different issues. <laughs> it's all in good fun, guys. I love you all. God damn it. Anyway, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> what are your questions and predictions for this episode? I have no predictions. My brain decided to take vacation this week. Um, my only question is how will this influx of like religious pilgrims alter the, I don't know, culture or whatever you want to call it on B5? Like what's, what is that going to increase um, security issues? Because you're going to have different religions coming to the station and arguing possibly about who saw what and why. Um, will it actually like increase tensions and are people going to try to start moving there, even though it's not meant to be like a long-term city? Blake looks like we have absolutely killed his soul. It's possible. Well, <laughs> we've murdered Blake. Sorry. It's we've turned we've questions made... and predictions into group therapy. <laughs> and we've made Scott's job of editing this episode so fucking difficult. Scott is going to oh, hate God. us. Excellent. No, Scott is going to hate you all. Yeah. I know because I save all my long ass predictions and questions for when he has to type shit. Yes. <laughs> we should yeah, just start show, doing that. When I show him how short this is, he's gonna he's gonna be not happy. Dude, so, from now okay. on, we should just do that to Scott. Just give him all the questions and predictions and just torment him. I'm sorry, Nicole, I wasn't listening to anything you just said. Oh, I'm gonna have so much fun the next time we record because Nicole, oh, oh, 
Of all people, Nicole thinks people don't listen. Mm-hmm. There's literally one prediction, unless I miss somebody. Well, before anyone can change their mind, <laughs> this has been our discussion of the season three episode of Convictions for Babylon 5. As we've said many times, we are just getting started with this season. Next week, we are going to be discussing a day in the strife as we get going into season three. Again, I have been Blake, and with me tonight have been... Nicole. Andrew. Jesse. Kevin. Emily. And Justin. And make sure to listen to us on your podcast app of choice. If you are listening to the audio podcast, we do have a YouTube channel. And if you are on the YouTube, we do have an audio podcast. You can also find us on social media with Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And all of the links are in the show notes below. So for all you newbies, it is time for you to go out the airlock. And Kevin and I are going to discuss your questions and predictions in your favorite place in all the galaxy, Beyond the Rim, which apparently is where you can find Sheridan's link. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the episodes that Scott isn't here, I have like... 18,000 things to say and then when Scott's here I like I'll like comment on one thing and I'll give my first impression and then I'm done so um Scott it's absolutely personal (laughs) yeah why do you why do you let Scott intimidate you oh shit (laughs) listen let's just hope he makes it back from the near 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 country no shit (laughs) (laughs) I hear hear banjos right (laughs) run all right Blake's had enough of her yeah Blake hates us good night everyone Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast or youtube.com at gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? At the rim? And beyond that? the truth. All right, and welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is your final warning that we are about to discuss this episode and throw in there all of those spoilers that our newbies haven't seen with our discussion of Babylon 5 as an overall series and the arc of season three. So again, if you have not watched past season three, episode two, Convictions, Turn back now and go ahead and head on out, and we will talk to you in a year and a half. Again, I am Blake, and with me is... I'm Kevin. And let's jump into our newbies questions, shall we? Our first question we've got is, has to do with Lanier and Londo's interaction, and how will Lanier and Londo interact after this, and will there be continued reaction to his actions? I'm thinking that's uh, both... I think that can go both ways. That's, you know, Lanier's actions in saving Londo, as well as... Uh, Lanier's reaction to Londo's future actions. So, Kevin, what do you think on this one? Well, to be honest, I can't really remember them having, you know, loads and loads of of interaction throughout the rest of the series. Uh, but I'm sure you'd probably remember better than I would, sir. 
Yeah, they really don't actually. I mean, there's this doesn't really get circled back to. There's not a lot of interaction uh, between Londo and Lanier after this. Yeah, I mean, they, it's just two characters that just don't interact very much. Yeah. I struggle to to think of anything. I'm sure you and I, as we go through the rest of the series, will probably, you know, if they do have any, probably remember this conversation. But I, I just don't remember any uh, much. Now, we will continue to see this kind of uh, razor's edge character with Londo, though, going between these actions that make you want to hate the guy and then at the same time, these other actions that actually endear him to the audience and make you have that little bit of sympathy for him. Oh, we will absolutely. see that dynamic continue uh, with Londo and Londo's interactions with other characters throughout the season. So in series, so we'll see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the newbie struggling with how to feel about Londo is the same as someone who's seen the entire series before. <laughs> you know, it you you want to like the guy you because you like the actor the the character's interesting but he's and he's he's likable at times but he's just so dang you know uh evil at times as well that but he's he's a very complex character he's probably one of the most complex characters on this show perhaps the most absolutely it's great writing and yeah. it's well cast because, you know, you could easily have a have an actor who couldn't pull all of this off. But Peter absolutely does. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, especially with Andreas Katsoulis cast as Jakar. Sure. That you could put other actors, you know, let's just say because Stephen first was auditioning for various roles mm-hmm. and was for Centauri. And, you know, as good as Stephen first is with Veer. If you put him in the role of Londo, he couldn't stand in these scenes next to Andreas. Yeah, yeah. You know, it takes a special actor to be able to stand and go toe to toe with Andreas Katsoulis in some of these scenes, especially like this elevator scene, that council chamber scene a couple of weeks ago. It takes someone that can match that caliber and Peter Jerusa can do it. Absolutely. I mean, Stephen first, you know, he he might have been a little bit or pretty pretty well typecast you know as kind of the the bumbling but still likable type of guy you know he played that more than a couple of times um so i you know londo may have been slightly portrayed that way earlier on just slightly but you know as as this character got more complex i think stephen first had he gotten that particular role probably would have struggled with that as he went along but somebody like peter just absolutely nails it so let's talk a little bit more about londo and jakar so one of the other questions was how will londo and jakar move forward after this and will either of them gain any perspective over the experience and no no, it's not not this experience. Yeah, though there will be others that that will help them gain perspective and will change their relationship. But it is not this particular episode. The two of them, you know, continue to be at odds, and then when Jakar has his religious awakening after uh, after he in a uh, in a drug induced rage you know nearly kills londo you know he will have his religious awakening after his prison time and will uh gain a different perspective but it is not from this experience which kind of answers are will there be more conflict between londo and jakar and yes oh just a little but it is 
it is like anything else with these two characters extremely complex throughout the rest of the series i mean to get to a point where jakar is even a bodyguard to londo in later seasons Mm -hmm. now as far as londo goes will will he gain any perspective over this experience and and will it affect his his relationship with jakar you know no i i don't I, i also don't think that's really the case either i think londo is not the most um you know high emotional intelligence guy there's ever been yeah so that kind of moves us on to uh, a different topic will the will the brothers continue to be a part of the story and stay on the station yes they, yes. they do you know there's a, an incredible episode with uh, brad Dorif later on and the that storyline they they return to it a couple of times but that's the most prominent one i think that i can think of yeah you've uh, got the one coming up in a couple of weeks uh uh, passing through Gethsemane. That's the one, one with Brad Dourif. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that. Actually, the other part of that one is the director of that one is Adam Nimoy. Oh, nice. So Leonard Nimoy's son is the director of that one. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Uh, who funny. at this time, ironically enough, was uh, married to Terry Farrell, I believe. Oh, really? Interesting. Yes, he was married to Jadzia Dax at this time. Yeah, I, I know we'll talk to that up talk about that episode when we get to it but uh, i'm i'm a big fan of brad Dourif. even even for people that do not like voyager his couple episodes of voyager are very good because yeah. he's an incredibly good actor oh and i'm sorry he did not marry terry farrell till 2018 so he was not married to terry at the time oh interesting but yeah he did eventually marry terry farrell but definitely that is one of my favorite episodes and then you get the other one you know you've got uh We've also commented and on The Rock cried out. You've got Brother Theo in that and his interaction with the other religious leaders who come to B5 carrying information from Earth after Babylon 5 breaks away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's going to be an I, interesting ride with these folks. Yeah, I, I know Scott really likes that episode, and, you know, I do too, but um, I, I had kind of forgotten about it until I was going through one of my – one of my uh, watchers to kind of catch myself up because I just do not have quite the memory for the series that the two of you have. And I want to be able to keep up. So, but uh, it is a really, uh, it's a fascinating episode. So I think that covers all of our questions. So let's head into our one prediction we have, and that is the prophecy of the billions of victims will come true for Londo and will continue on his path of destruction. Yeah, pretty much. It is, but I don't think, I don't think the newbies quite understand the prediction at this point. Yeah. Because, you know, yes, he has done terrible things to the Narn, but part of the victims of Londo Malari are the Centauri themselves, mm-hmm. who, after the shadows leave and they're left with the Drock influence, you see the cities of Centauri burning. Yeah. Londo damns himself and his own people mm-hmm. for his actions as well. Yeah. Yeah. They is, haven't seen that part yet. It is not just the Narn. You know that uh, are are victims of of Londa Malari. You're, as you point out, it's it's also the the Centauri Republic that is uh, going to need to be rebuilt after the the reign of Londo, which is Veer's job to do that later on. So I'm sure that it's in good hands at that point. But um, man, I, you know, you just you you don't want to you don't want to hate Londo, and you know, people who have seen the entire series, you know, may not totally, but uh, it's, it's, it's a really tough story arc. It's probably the, well, it definitely is the most interesting to a lot of people. But I think with Londo is the, 
the overall tragedy of this character. I mean, people talk about him doing all this for personal gain, and I think they miss the part of, yes, he's gaining personally, but that wasn't Londo's ambition. Right. Londo wanted to see his people back to greatness. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to sacrifice it all to do that. That's why I pointed out that joke, because it, while it is not funny, um, particularly, it certainly does uh, encapsulate uh, Londo's thinking yeah. almost almost you know, perfectly that he just, you know, he cares about almost nothing except the greatness of the, of the Centauri Republic. And if he ends up, you know, with a a good position in the Royal court, then he's, he's happy with that. But uh, if, if he doesn't, but the Centauri Republic is something at the end, then he'd probably be, you know, close to just as happy. It's funny you bring up that joke. Uh, JMS talked about that. And that was a little nod he did because apparently jokes like that had been, floating around in the Usenets and the fan forums for a while. And he threw that in as kind of a nod to the uh, fan forums. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. So I think that wraps up our discussion for convictions, unless you've got anything else, Kevin. No, I mean, there there isn't tons of, you know, lore in this episode. I mean, nothing that happens here really, you know, carries on too particularly much. But, uh, you know, maybe... Um, the the biggest thing is the you know, the the brothers uh, that are seen later on. Um, one of the questions I don't think we really touched on too much was you know will this increase security concerns with pilgrimages and stuff? And I don't think we see any evidence of that. Yeah, I think this is about as close to a bottle episode as you're going to get in season three. Yeah, that's absolutely. Uh, and true. ironically, this and the next one uh, really the next this episode and next week's. Uh, really are about as close as you get to bottle episodes for season three. They have these little pieces of lore building and and stage setting. I mean, obviously, uh, setting the stage with Brother Theo and their work in technology and information, you know, that sets a certain stage of things to come. The dynamic with Londo and Jakar and that right now where they're at in a relationship, you see these little pieces building. Um, but beyond that, you know, these are really kind of bottle contained episodes. So, mm-hmm. all right. I think that wraps up our discussion for convictions. Again, we are the Gray 17 Podcast. You have been joining us beyond the rim where we go through all of our questions and predictions from our newbies. If you haven't checked out the full episode, we recommend you give it a shot. Uh, We've been reviewing week to week, so you can also go back and listen to all of our prior reviews so far through Babylon 5 Seasons 1 and 2. Again, I have been Blake, and with me has been... I'm Kevin. Make sure to follow us next week for more. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night, guys. a joke today. I probably should not repeat it, but uh, who are you going to tell? Hmm? How many centauri does it take to um, screw in a light bulb? Just one. But in the great old days of the Republic, hundreds of servants would change a thousand light bulbs at our slightest whim. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.